Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to share with you out of uh, two passages this morning that have really driven both Rich and my journey and our desire to reach our local community, to reach people throughout the U.S. and the whole world. And so I'm going to talk, um, Dan set me up with this last week. Uh, I'm going to start out of Acts 1. Um, verses 3 through 9. And Dan talked last week about the church here being a launch pad, that we are a place that launches people and sends people out um, to go all over the world. And I will say this, that out of the people that have been leaders in my life, I would say Dan has probably been one of my top 10 most inspirational leaders in terms of both seeing the global perspective and then feeling really confident and taking the leap to be sent. I came from a group of churches that I grew up in uh, that if you moved for any reason other than to go to a different church within our group of churches, that it was kind of like you were a lower class Christian in some ways, that you would put something else as higher priority than the kingdom or the church. And so I grew up with this mindset that the only reason you ever moved was to join another congregation that was pre-approved by your church leadership, which is challenging if you have a global worldview because it somewhat limits where you're going to go. And so, so I want to look at three things out of Acts 1, 3 through 9 today, um, which Dan ended with last week, and then Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. Um, I want to look at gifts, how God gifts us, how we are witnesses to the ends of the earth, and that the stage that he gives us is threefold. Everything's going to be threefold. I'm going to have three points, threefold places. It's all threefold. So we get gifts to become witnesses so that we can go and have an impact locally, nationally, and to the ends of the earth. So when we look at, when we look at Acts 1, 3 through 9, and I'm going to build on this so it's okay, but let's just read it first. So Acts 1-3 says, after his, Jesus's, because I started mid-story, after Jesus's suffering, he presented himself to them, the disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. Sorry, the cloud hid him from their sight. So what we see in this passage is a series of things that happen. And the first thing we see is that Jesus descended. He had already died on the cross. He had already been resurrected, but he descended again and walked among them for a series of days, teaching and telling them what the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of heaven was going to look like. 
So he descended. Then he talks about this promise of gifts. He says, wait here for the gift my father has promised. This Holy Spirit who's going to follow behind me, wait for that. And then the disciples will kind of ignore what they said because they seem to be pretty confused most of Jesus' life. Um, The disciples are like, are you going to restore the kingdom now? And then we have, you know, the already not yet theology. But Jesus says, never mind that. It's not for you to know. But the Holy Spirit is coming. He returns to the gift. He says, the Holy Spirit is coming so that you will have power and you will be my witnesses So the next is, he says, you will be my witnesses. And then he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, locally, the city they were all located in. Then he says to to Judea and Samaria. So Judea is the nation Jerusalem was in, and Samaria is the neighboring country. And then he says, to the ends of the earth. So we're going to walk through each of these individually and how Jesus walks this out. And we're actually going to look at how Paul preached this very same message. Because what we see in the next chapter is the Holy Spirit does fall, and they are empowered, and they do both the nations of the world come to them in Jerusalem, because it says all the nations of the world were gathered there. We see the Holy Spirit fall, and then we see them become witnesses that are then dispersed and called to the ends of the earth. And then we see at the end of this passage, another thing happens. And after he told them this, he was taken up. So these are Jesus's last words on earth. He's already ascended and he's come back to tell them and to teach them. So this is the capstone of his resurrected teaching. Now, if somebody comes back from the dead, goes up into heaven in a cloud of glory and comes back and teaches you, and these are the final things that they say, we could probably all agree that these are fairly important for all of us to know. And we'll see why this is really important later. Now, when I read Acts 1, what I was most excited about most of my life was the last bit, the last five words that Jesus said, that to the ends of the earth. And I grew up in a context that the ends of the earth was my first framework of viewing the world. Um, And so my parents were missionaries in the Middle East. My dad started going into Afghanistan, actually with Peter and Barbie Reynolds in the 1960s. And my parents lived in Iran. And my uncle and aunt, who were a huge influence in my life, were actually in India and Pakistan and Sri Lanka and Afghanistan all throughout my early childhood. So this is me. Um, As a little kid, I'm on the left. I'm the really cute one. The other one's my older sister. Um, (laughs) So this is me. Um, You know, as an early child, in kind of in a world, even though my dad was at that point back in the U.S., they got kicked out of Iran during the Civil War, I grew up in in a community that was constantly looking out to the other nations of the world. And um, you can put up the next picture, too. Um, This is me in my Pakistanian clothes. Um, So as long as I can remember, probably from the moment that I gave my life to the Lord, my whole life, I have prayed for Asia and the Middle East. Since I was a very, very little girl. And I prayed for China. I prayed for India. I prayed for Pakistan and Sri Lanka. And um, I had pen pals 
in all of these places that I wrote. I don't even know what I wrote. I don't have copies of the letters anymore. I'm sure they were full of lots of interesting news from my very small world context in the U.S. But my whole life I had prayed for the ends of the earth. And at the same time that I was praying for the ends of the earth, Rich was also prepar- or God was also preparing for me a partner to walk alongside me and to help me to walk with God in this ends of the world view. So I'm going to ask Rich to come up, and Rich is going to share um, what he was doing as he also was praying, and God was also laying on his heart the ends of the earth as well. <laughs> well, okay. I'm not going to go into the picture because <clears throat> Hannah was quite a bit younger. Anyway, <laughs> so... Um, this wasn't the exact same time. No, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> So for me, um, I just appreciate how much God orchestrates things. And uh, kind of if you look at a Rubik's Cube, some days you look at it and it's a mess. And you don't know how it's ever all going to fall into place and, and, and get solved. So um, I, I just appreciate how God works and, and how he does things. And, and by his power, he's able to unfold things before us and we don't see it. Um, just to backtrack a little bit, I grew up in uh, middle-class America in southern Illinois, about 20 minutes outside of uh, St. Louis. Not East St. Louis, for those of you who <laughs> um, But uh, just a little bit further east. Um, and my father um, lost his, his job uh, at an early age when I was in uh, middle school. And it was stressful. It took him probably six months to find a job. He, he uh, dropped out of high school when he was a sophomore um, and so it didn't go to college, but, uh, so for me, that was stressful that, that formed me and, and kind of shaped me to where I wanted to be able to provide for a family when I got older, because I saw the stress as a child in that. And so, um, when I went to college, I, I did a lot of researching to kind of see what was up and coming, kind of w- where God could use me, what was a good job, what, what, uh, different options there were. But back in those days, we didn't have cell phones, so I actually had to get in the car, drive seven miles, go to the library. And anyone that knows me knows how much I appreciate computers. So this was really fun. So five hours into it, I finally was able to get on the computer and, and find um, the up-and-coming up jobs. And, and one of them was physician assistant, and that's what I do for a living. Um, but looking at that, my, my heart was to help people, whatever capacity that was. Um, and I, I had a degree in biology and chemistry. I wanted to uh, um, go along those lines and, and help people uh, locally and internationally. I, I as well, as, as Hannah said, I think when you grow up and, and you're younger, you think of reaching the nations, going out and, and, and going someplace exotic and, and, and seeing things, which is great. And, and I still have that desire. And these are these pictures. I went to uh, Haiti when I was in PA school. And I've been to Albania and worked at orphanages and, and worked in uh, clinics. But uh, that being said, go, going to PA school opened a lot of doors. Um, locally, um, I was able to pray for people. I work uh, in surgery. And so nobody wakes up and thinks, oh, I'm going to break my wrist this day or I'm going to have an acute appendicitis or have something that needs to happen. So they're in a vulnerable position. They're open to be prayed for. Um, and so it was a great opportunity to lay hands on people, witness, and just pray for people because they're scared, they're worried, they're not sure what's going to happen. So from a local standpoint, that, that was great as well. Um, 
I was able to work at a free clinic up in Wisconsin that one of the surgeons I worked with uh, for people that didn't have uh, insurance. Um, so there was an aspect of the local um, community I was able to give to and uh, thrive in, um, as well as the international. Again, having gone to Haiti and going to Albania, um, it, it just was uh, a great opportunity. So my, my desire going to school and pursuing this was to provide for a family. So at that point, I didn't have a family, clearly. Hannah was too young in those pictures. So <clears throat> I was single, and a verse that really struck a chord to me uh, was Genesis 2.18. Uh, and and uh, basically, the crux of it is I, I will bring you a, a suitable helper. And so I, I, I would get up at uh, 5 in the morning when I lived in Elgin and... Uh, spend a half hour, 45 minutes praying in the Spirit and just uh, pursuing God and uh, that, that God would make me someone perfectly fashioned for my wife, whoever she was at that time. I didn't know, hadn't met her yet. And in the same way that God was fashioning things in her, it would be perfect for me. Um, and so um, that was just one way to be proactive with things. Um, so one of the things I, I prayed was uh, someone that loved to travel, loved the nations, uh, had a desire to go to the nations, and uh, again, someone that was a suitable helper. Um, and, uh, you know, it's taken 14 years, roughly, for Hannah to get to the place where she is going into the nations, but uh, God's faithful. And I just want to remind you that if he puts desires on your heart and he talks to you, he speaks to you, and he puts those things in you, to uh, continually look at that and, and uh, just put faith in God, because he's going to Whatever he sets out to do, he, he's going to see it to completion. So, so while Rich was praying for me, um, and uh, I was actually studying in China at the time. And I was at a, a, an institute called the Beijing Language and Culture Institute uh, taking Mandarin immersion classes. Um, and you can flip through, yeah, just flip the slides up. Um, and during that time, um, I went in and uh, saw a lot of culture. This is me on the Great Wall uh, in Inner Mongolia, riding camels, as one does. And um, at this time, I was, I was really studying and, and learning Mandarin and really pursuing what I thought the ends of the earth looked like in terms of um, what this Acts 1 thing was calling us all to. But I was also in some of the toughest seasons of my life. Probably the most pivotal season of my life happened in these years when Rich was waking up at 545 every morning and praying for God's preparation of me. And so I went through this season, and um, I had this view of the world um, of there were different ways to go to the ends of the earth. And I know this is kind of a small graphic now that it's up on the screen. Um, and I thought the ways we went was in missions, and that was like the, the pivot of, or the, the, the pivot, the top, the top of the pyramid, right, the point, um, that missions was the most godly, um, Jesus, typical way of going to the nations, um, and I had always been convinced that I didn't want to be in what I thought was full-time ministry. So I thought, well, I'm going to find a way to get sent to the nations without the church. Ha! Um, and so I ended up, I joined the army, right? And I joined the army in psychological operations, which meant I had to linguist qualify, and I became a cultural analyst. So I was like, this is a 
awesome. I've got it all figured out. I don't need the church. God can send me to the nations through the government, right? The army's going to pay for me to go to the ends of the earth. So I went to China, and um, I went through a season of really doubting the local church, and it supported me, and that was fine because I had my own plan, and I was doing it with me and Jesus. Um, And I really went through a series, just a season of rebellion in my own heart. Because if we don't have a heart for the brothers and sisters, if we don't have a heart for the church, we also lose our perspective of who God is as well. So I um, went through that season and uh, realized that my master plan of having the government send me to the nations wasn't going to work out. I became a single mom. And if there's anything that grounds you more than becoming a single mom, I don't know what it is. So I realized, okay, I have a degree in international political economics and Mandarin. I have a job in China, and I'm about to have a son. Okay, new plan. Right, and at that point, my job in China was actually teaching. So I was like, all right, new plan. I'll go get my MBA, and I'll work for an NGO, right? Because an NGO is the next level of godly-ish ways of serving the nation. Still pretty holy, still pretty um, worthy. And I thought of all of these things as service. And uh, I was like, okay, service-oriented things are awesome and are great. So in this season, as I was finishing my MBA with my new vision of reaching the world, still pretty much me and God and the world wait for me to come. And I met Rich in this season. And Rich has been probably one of the most amazing, um, well, he has been, um, one of the most amazing miracles of God in my life. That he brought somebody into my life um, that not only recognized what I was capable of, but championed me and helped me to see God through a whole new light. So Rich was my first love of the church, which is great. Um, so Rich comes into my life, and he's super supportive, and he's like, yeah, this is great, babe. Um, we're going to you know, go to the nations together. And I married him and moved up here and became a part of this church. Um, and this is a few years ago. And I realized in that same season that there was another way that I could go to the nations. And the other way I could go to the nations was through business. And business is great for going to the nations because it's self-sustaining and it's self-funding, but it can also be um, sometimes more so than an NGA, it's more NGO, it's more flexible, it can be more entrepreneurial, and it can take on a whole different um, kind of face. And, but I still kind of thought of this as work not service, work. And I know I shared a couple weeks ago about my huge epiphany, but even at this point, I was still in my old mindset where I really thought work was post-fall. I really thought work was something that we did because Adam and Eve screwed up, and so now we have to work. So um, the other ones, those are serving, which we're called to works of service, right? And I really focused on the service part, and much less so on the work part um, as the kingdom of God. And I started to realize as I, I was reading Ephesians, And listening to Dan talk, even back then, about sending, about the church being like, um, he says, now, an aircraft carrier that planes can come in and land on and refuel and get sent out to all the places that they need to go around the world. And um, looking at Ephesians 2.10, I read it one day, and it just transformed how I viewed the gifts that God had given me. How frustrating to think that you were called to serve and realize you were relegated to work in business. And Ephesians 2.10 says we are his worksmanship. 
It actually, the word worksmanship there is like his masterpieces, his works of art. We are his worksmanship, which he prepared, oh, created in Christ Jesus for good work, which God prepared beforehand, equipping us so that we should walk in all of these works. And I realized three things about this verse, that we are a masterpiece, but we are his worksmanship, that God created, he worked to create us. So God first works. Genesis 1, God worked in creation. He took a break on the day seven from all the work. So God is a God of work. The second was that he prepared for us good work. And I always thought good works, like good deeds, but the word there in the Greek, ergon, and I'm going to come back to this, actually means vocation. And actually, if you look at other Greek transcripts from that time, most of the time the word ergon means business, marketplace. I was like, huh, maybe I can do things in business that are kingdom. Maybe it can be service. But it also says that he prepared these things beforehand. So when you go back to Acts, you start to see a pattern in what Jesus said, that we get equipped with the gifts to be a witness where we are in our nation and to the ends of the earth. And I began on a journey, and I have lots of these 10-year journeys of understanding things. It takes me a really long time to grasp, I think, fairly simple truths. So hopefully you all grasp it today and go out super empowered. Um, So the first thing I looked at was gifts. It seems that Jesus started with the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I love this because when in Acts 1, Jesus talks about gifts, but in Acts 2, Peter goes on to talk about this amazing gift. And even better, because we love Paul, because we have so many epistles from him, I want to turn back to Ephesians, um, where most of my inspiration has come from, because Paul actually builds on what Peter spoke about in Acts 2, in Ephesians 4. And Paul says here, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of, Of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And moving into verse 8, Paul says, this is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. And Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
and then in tiny print. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I love this. I love this passage. Um, and it's, I know it ties to Acts 1, which I didn't actually know last week. So last Sunday, Dan had asked me to tag team with him, and we got kind of muddled in the waters and all of that. And it turned out that he was speaking last week, and I was going to speak the whole time this week, which is awesome, because I wouldn't have gotten it all done anyway. Um, and I had two verses that I really want to talk about, Acts 1, because he told me to, and then Ephesians 4. And so this week, this is how God confirms things in our lives and gives us synergy for all the things that we do. As I was studying Acts 1 and Ephesians 4, I realized in my NT2 final, because I'm taking NT2 as a class right now, two of the exegesis questions for my final were Acts 1, this verse, and Ephesians 4, this verse. It's like, yes, double dipping, my final is halfway done. Um, but I realized in this passage, and I can't unpack it all, but this first part in verses uh, 8 and 9, what Paul is doing is actually what's called a midrash. And a midrash is a rabbinic teaching on a passage. So he's quoting Psalm 68:18, and he says, um, th in this passage, it says, then um, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And I love this in worship today. We talked about God like breaking free our chains, right, and setting us free. And he did. He took, he ascended and he set us all free from the, the, the sin and death and all of that, right? The chains of sin and death. Um, but it's really fun because we think about Psalm 68, 18. And if you compare what Paul says here to the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, or even the Hebrew Old Testament, it seems as though Paul is misquoting Psalms. But we also have to think about this. When Peter gives his sermon his famous, famous sermon that we're all familiar with in Acts 2, he quotes Psalms, talks about what the Holy Spirit is doing now, and then closes out with Psalms again. What is Paul doing here? And so we think about this passage, and we know that Ephesians 4.1, and this is why I read all of that chunk of scripture, Ephesians 4.1 starts with Paul saying, as a prisoner of the Lord. So you have been set free but you have been taken captive into the kingdom of heaven. So we look at this and we go in and what is he doing with this Psalms 68? And I believe the first part of it is a teaching on this passage and how it has been fulfilled through the Pentecost. So we're going to take a deep look at it. But then 11 through 16 are the application. How do we work this out? Um, gifts and God giving gifts to his people, the nation of Israel, was a massive part of their history. But it was for a purpose, for his people to be a light and a testimony and a witness of God in the earth. So we're moving to the witness. You can see how this is going to tie together. So let's look at Psalm 68. And I love this. Psalm 68 out of Psalms says, You ascended on high leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious that God may dwell there. 
So we can see what's happening here. Paul is, is turning Jesus, or God, in his ascension from receiving gifts from men to bestowing gifts to men. So we think about this in the terms um, that the Israelites and the disciples and the, the uh, apostles would have studied this. And we look at Numbers 18.6. And this would have been how they viewed the giving of the Levites, the giving of the priesthood nation. In Numbers 18.6, and if you don't believe me, read Numbers 8 as well. Um, it says, Behold, I have taken your brothers, the Levites, from among the people of Israel, like taking captives. They are a gift to you, given to the Lord to do the service of the tent of meeting. So the rabbinic context of this is that people are who God has taken captive in his ascension. And that he's given people to as gifts so that we can worship him and have an embrace or a picture of his presence that before Jesus we weren't worthy of at all. So let's move on, looking at both Ephesians 4 and then now Proverbs 21 through 22, or verse 22, we think about what does this ascension mean? What does this ascension mean? And it says, One who is wise can go up against the city of the mighty and pull down the strongholds in which they trust. There's this ascension and descension tied in to the giving of gifts and the mighty. And then um, moving on to Exodus 19, 3 through 6. And I think this verse is probably where it comes home for Paul. Because we think about Romans. and Romans, Paul is always talking about the law versus grace. And so in this passage, we see another ascension and another gift that is given. And in this time, it's not God ascending or a mighty or wise man, but it's Moses ascending. And it says, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself taken his people captive. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So Moses ascended. He received a gift. The gift he received in that day was the law, and the law was there to equip the people of God, to be a witness to God in the whole earth. Holy cow, or as the Israelites would say, unholy golden calf. I know I wrote that during worship. It's pretty good, isn't it? Uh-huh. So what Paul is actually saying here is that the law once equipped the saints in holiness to be a witness of who God is in all of the earth, but there's a new gift and I think sometimes we read the fivefold ministries and we jump in at verse, I don't know what verse it is, uh, verse 11 with the fivefold ministry and the apostles and the prophets and the, the, it's really exciting. We have all these fivefold ministries, but it starts off with a rewriting of history. It starts off with Jesus ascending. And then do you know what most theologians think that dissension is? 
I always thought it was Jesus like coming back down, maybe like in Acts 1 and preaching, or maybe, I don't know. But it says he descended to the lower, um, the lower earthly regions. This isn't a descension into hell to break the gates of hell. This is a descending to linger and be present on earth. After Jesus ascended, God descended again. What if this is the ascension of the Holy Spirit? What if this passage is actually Paul talking about Pentecost? That before Moses ascended, he gave you the law. We all were awful at it. So Jesus came. He made us worthy. And now instead of the law, the Holy Spirit has descended. So day after day, we can be made holy. Wow. Unholy golden calf. It's awesome. So we see this gift that we're given. But there's two things about this gift. We're given the gift of the Holy Spirit, but we are also now priests, right? Paul says in other passages, now we're that holy nation. Now we're called to be a priesthood. Peter even says it, so it's got to be true. So look at the person next to you and said, I'm God's gift to you. That's right. Because if it was true of the Levites who were in uh, the holy priesthood, we are God's gift to earth but not because of us, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit that's come down and lives in us. So let's look at the next part of Ephesians 4, because it's getting really, really good. Okay, so we see, um, and Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So we have a couple of things here. We're equipped for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, attaining to the full measure and fullness of God. So if we think about this in an Acts 1 perspective, that we are called to be a witness, a representation, a testament to Jesus and God, then we have to look like him. And we know that Jesus said, I do what I see my father doing. So we have to do what we see Jesus and the Father doing, what the Holy Spirit inspires in us. And a lot of times we think that, if you go to the next slide, we think that this is, um, that this is the fivefold ministry, that the works are the fivefold ministry, that the works are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But that's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is actually saying is that the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are there to equip you to be like Jesus, to be like God the Father working in the earth as a testimony of a God who first worked and created Adam and Eve to work. But the only way we can do this in full maturity, attaining to the whole measure and fullness of Christ, is if we are equipped with each other as prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral, teaching, and apostolic people. So that when we now go out into the world, we have an aircraft carrier that builds us up, that when we come in here on a Sunday morning, that we are being built up. Because if I go out into the world and I don't evangelize, if I go out into the world and I don't prophesy, if I don't teach, if I don't do all of the things, then we really aren't going out into the world and changing so that the church can be built up and each part of us as the body of Christ can do our work, which is redeeming the whole earth for the return of Jesus. So if you go to the next, I like it in the NIV, but I really love it in the ESV, where it says, from him the whole body joined together by every joint with which it is equipped 
So we are the equipping of each other and the outworking of equipping. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So when we're pouring into each other, we now become witnesses in St. Charles, in Chicago, in the U.S. of A., and to the ends of the earth. So don't worry, I'm closing with this next point. Um, So we go and we say, okay, we're going to do this, says Acts, in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in that season of rich praying and um, me conquering the world, right, by myself with God, I think. Actually, I'm not quite sure that I always brought God on board in some of my world-conquering strategies and plans. Um, But if we think about this, um, God brought my attention down to where his heart actually is, and that's in the local body of God. And so it says it started local, but God brought all the nations of the world to them in Acts 2. When Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to fall on you um, so that you can preach in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, the first time tongues fell, all the nations of the world were gathered there to be witness. But it didn't stop with Jerusalem, right? They did go to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And I was really excited as we thought about this. On Friday night, we went to um, a benefit dinner in Carroll Stream um, with a group that the Marshalls, that Jessica Marshall and Mary Lundeen are sewing into. And they were talking about all the people they impact in Carroll Stream. Forty different nations are represented. And they're here in our house doing this. Um, We know that Mike Stevens is somewhere in the world. Where's Mike right now? Do you know? Just kidding. He's here, but he was in Panama. He was in other places of the world. We have Stephen Coco going to South America. We have Lonnie and Betty. Last, a couple weeks ago, they took Riley with them, and they served at a food pantry, reaching people locally. The Reardons, where are the Reardons? Yes, and they've impacted um, lots of people in our community locally. And you think about this, God's bringing the nations of the world to us and sending us out at the same time to the ends of the earth. So it doesn't matter if your inspiration today is the local inspiration, if it's a regional, if it's a national, or if it is to the ends of the earth, that all of this is there in Acts 1. This is why we need to be prophetic, apostolic, pastoral, teaching, evangelistic people. Because whether we go to the nations or he brings the nations to us, when we're united in our purpose in these five things that the Holy Spirit gifts us with, we do transform the whole world. So when we think about this, and this is why I'm really convinced of that even more so than just looking at what God did in Acts 2, is that when Paul wrote, um, or when, sorry, Luke wrote this in Acts, the ends of the earth were actually Spain. So you can go to my next, my next map. So this is the Roman Empire, the Roman world. The known world that would have been on maps is the part in green, kind of the green highlight out there, Right? Spain. Spain was the ends of the world. It's like a one-hour flight from Rome now. Um, And even more so in Paul's time, when he talks about this next map, um, it would have been even smaller because the Roman Empire was shrinking. Now Italy is the ends 
of the world. So sometimes we think in order, and I thought this so long in my walk with God, that in order to go to the ends of the world, I had to be going to the 1040 window. You can go to my next slide. Um, And when we think about the world today, this is Christianity in the world today, the population of Christians. And um, the very, very dark blue is where in the world 90 to 100% of the people are Christians. And so um, I think the animation will work. Um, You can see that the U.S., is actually decreasing in its percent of Christianity, which is great news if you want to go to the ends of the world because now our neighbors need us more than ever. Um, That when we think about the USA, it's about 65 to 80%, closer to 65. And about a year ago, I read uh, for the first time uh, Charles Taylor's Secular Age. I didn't read the whole big book. I read somebody else's book on how to read that book, which is great. Um, And I was really captured by this, this enlightenment post-enlightenment world we live in that's super intellectual, we're super educated, you know, we're, um, we're so heady, we don't have a need for the Holy Spirit, we're very, very secular. So you know what I love about the secular age? I think Charles Taylor, I'm not quite sure what year he published it in, I'm just going to pretend and I'll do it for um, um, impact, so don't fact check me on this, but let's just say Charles Taylor wrote this book, The Secular Age, in the year 2000. Anybody know what happened in 2001? Religious activists, so inspired by their faith, attacked America. Can I tell you that is not something that happens in a secular age? Because there is nothing logical about what happened in 9-11. There is a whole world out there that is anything but secular. And so we have two opportunities today. We have the opportunity to be spirit-led people who transform our post-enlightenment Western view of the world and of God to understand a God who acts, a God who is not logical, a God who is miraculous and Holy Spirit. We have this opportunity, but we also, for the first time in history, have more missionaries coming into the U.S. than we are sending out. The majority of Christians around the world live in South America and Africa, and in Africa alone there are 350 million registered Christians. Do you know how many people there are in the U.S.? About 360 million. Not all Christians. There are more Christians in the continent of Africa alone than there are in America today. So the world has changed around us. So we're both called to go, but we're also called to listen and to learn. Because maybe the next theology that's going to come out of the church is a theology of the Holy Spirit that our Western minds never really got to. And there are writers now in Africa and in South America and in Asia. Asia puts our idea of megachurch to shame. There is a church in South Korea that was over 100,000 people. We live in a world today where the Holy Spirit is moving, where people are seeing all of the Trinitarian God, and it is an exciting time to live. So you think, well, should we not go to the ends of the earth then? Well, certainly not. He called us to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And when we look up at this map, you see that really light part of the map that you can barely see the nations. This is a 1040 window. So this is the window of the world where... There are very few Christians, or the gospel is so persecuted that the Christians can't be counted, which is probably the case in China. There are probably more Christians in China than in the U.S., but because they're so persecuted, we don't know how many are there. So Ephesians 4 would say, we need to go to the ends of the earth. But what we might have neglected in our prayers and our sowing into the 1040 window, which we need to sow into, 
is we've neglected our eight to five window where we all spend all of our time. So I love this. I didn't come up with that. A pastor in LA a couple weeks ago said that to me, that he had been praying and sewing into the 1040 window and God came and said, well, what are you doing about the eight to five window in the US today? And how are we sewing and doing the work of God everywhere we go? Are we going into the workplace prophetic, apostolic, evangelistic, teaching, pastoring, loving the people around us? Because this is the expression of Christ, that in our work, we reflect God. Why? Ephesians 4 would say for the unity and maturity of the body of Christ so that he can return. So in one month, after 15 years and a lifetime of praying, I'm going back to Asia. But before, which is really exciting, um, in this last year, in the last, I don't know, 13 years now, of God first partnering me to Rich, which has been amazing, and then growing in me a love for his church, every step away along the way, we just keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and our love for Jesus, and he equips us because he's prepared to work for us beforehand in Christ Jesus. And so even though I'm really excited about going back to Asia, in January of this year, I took a global theology class because it was required as part of the master's degree program I'm doing. And in that program, I realized, because I'd have this Western missionary mindset, I'm a fifth generation missionary kid in my family. Um, and I'd always had this, like, we need to go out and tell the whole world about Jesus. And I get into this class and I'm like, I need to go listen <laughs> to what God is doing in the whole world. And I get to go in a teaching capacity because just like Rich prayed, God prepared both of us with skill sets that we could go anywhere in the world and serve and somebody else would pay for it. So my job is sending me to Asia, but I'm so excited because it's now, if we have this view of what God's doing in the whole earth, it's not us going and rescuing, but it's seeing the unity of the church being built up. So whether we send out or whether an aircraft carrier lands here to be fueled, airplane lasts on the aircraft carrier, to be filled up, that we're a part of something that is bringing unity and maturity to the believers in all of the earth. So if you'll stand, we're just going to pray in closing. And I dropped a lot of stuff on you today. So I pray that one of those things really lands home and gives you inspiration, inspires you in your relationships, in the body around you, but definitely puts on your heart an understanding of why we're all here, that we have Jeremy and Diana, amazing pastoral and prophetic leaders. We have Dan and Fee, amazing apostolic and prophetic leaders. That we have the Washcos. We have John and Mary, amazing pastoral and prophetic leaders. And hopefully Rich and I, also as inspiring leaders. But it's to equip all of us to reflect Jesus, to reflect God in what he did first on earth, which was work and then create Adam, who then worked as a reflection of him in this creation that is about to be redeemed. So let me just pray. Father God, thank you so much, Jesus, for dying on the cross so that we could be worthy of this calling. So now I pray, like Paul prayed, Holy Spirit, help us to live a life 
that is worthy of it. You made us worthy, but Holy Spirit, we need you. We need all of the gifts that Jesus has given to us and to our brothers and sisters in the church. Because without you, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and Father, without you, how do we reflect you in all the work that you've given us to do? So I pray right now that we are filled again with your Holy Spirit, that we are inspired by these last words that Jesus spoke on earth, that the Holy Spirit has come, that the Holy Spirit has made us witnesses, that, Father of God, you awaken in us today an awareness, whether it's in the 8 to 5 window of our lives or the 1040 window of the world, that we are the hope, that we carry the hope of creation because we've been redeemed, because we are equipped with the Holy Spirit for every good work you called us to. So I pray for a new unity, for a new excitement in the church today to go out, to go out and to redeem every hour and every place that we step foot. In Jesus' name, amen.